Tim is out of town. And so we are beginning a new series entitled Thriving in Babylon. Lessons from the life of Daniel. And uh, Alan and I are going to be doing this. I guess I'm going to be doing all but one of them. And Alan is going to be speaking next week uh, because my wife and I are going to be out of town again. And uh, so I encourage you all to be here. Tim will be getting a brief break for the next five or six weeks. I believe he'll be back. Uh, if not the first week in November the 2nd or whenever I can get him to take it back. He tends to enjoy it when we give him a break, you know. Give him two more weeks. Uh, but that's quite alright. But uh, guys, we, we recently got done looking at the life of Joseph. And Tim had several lessons on that. And we very good. We got very good response from that. And uh, as we were talking about doing this, this thriving in Babylon came up. I don't remember if you brought it up, Alan, or if I did. Uh, I think I brought up Daniel and you brought up thriving in Babylon. And uh, in the, I want to give one quick disclaimer uh, to these, this series of lessons is that it is about the life of Daniel, not about the book of Daniel. Okay? Now, it's true that 99.9% of what we know about Daniel comes out of the book of Daniel. But there's some things in there, specifically the prophecies. We're not going to be delving deep into those. Okay? We just believe there's another time and a place for those. Not afraid of talking about those at all. But we're not going to do that here on Sunday morning. Alan is going to be speaking next week uh, and referencing these, these, these prophecies and talking about uh, how, how God and, and heaven influence what goes on here on earth. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about the lesson. And I encourage you all to be here for that one. Um, and we're going to be looking at this. But guys, the book of Daniel, uh, most of us are familiar with stories from the book of Daniel. Okay, there's three stories in particular that y'all, I bet the majority of the people in this room are familiar with. The very first one is where, uh, is in chapter one, where Daniel is brought into uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's service as an exile uh, from Jerusalem, one of the Jewish exiles. And uh, he's put into the king's service and he refuses to eat the king's food because he believes he is defiling himself and God would not be happy with him about that. And uh, he makes a pact with the, with the guy in charge saying, hey, feed us all just veg- vegetable and water, vegetables and water, and uh, see how we look. And that worked out. And the other story you're familiar with is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, and the fiery furnace where they refused to bow down to the image of gold and as a result, they were thrown in the fiery furnace and God rescued them from the fiery furnace. They lived. Okay, They did not even smell of smoke. Their hair was not singed. And it was a really cool story. The third story is about Daniel in the lion's den. And about where Daniel... Uh, there were some other uh, officials in Babylon that were unhappy with Daniel being having the position he had, and so they were out to get him. I mean, you want to talk about political backstabbing? It was. They looked at Daniel and said, let's, let's get the king to sign a law that says anybody who prays to any other god will be thrown into the lion's den. And they knew what they were doing. They knew that when the king signed the decree, he couldn't back away from it. It was against the law 
for him to sign this into a, into law and then say, oh, no, 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 you tricked me. I'm not going to do this. He couldn't do it. He had to throw Daniel into the lion's den once Daniel was seen praying to the God. And as we know, Daniel, God again, shut the mouths of the lions and Daniel survived. And he was put in charge. And guys, in every situation, very similar to the story of Joseph, okay, he's brought into a situation where it looks like disaster. Okay, it looks like he's going to have to eat food that, that, that God wouldn't be happy with him. He's going to have to defile himself or he's going to be potentially put to death. And what happens? God brings about a tremendous victory. And then with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the, in the fiery furnace, it looks like they're going to die for not bowing down and, and honoring the king in this image of gold, and God saves them. And in every situation, guys, it doesn't matter what's going on, they're elevated. Okay? They're, let me put this differently. They are promoted. They are given positions of honor and respect and recognition. They would, in today's word, world, they've climbed the corporate ladder. Alright? They had the king's ear. And it wasn't just one king. And it's, guys, how did they thrive? You see, guys, that's what we want to look at. And the first thing we want to talk about today, and I'm going to be talking, the notes, you follow along the notes, please, but it's not going to be your typical notes if you're used to being here. Uh, I love telling stories. And I believe that especially now, when we're beginning to look at Daniel, we've got to tell the story of what's going on here. And, and, and I want to start out today in the introduction just telling the background of what's going on because I believe it's hugely significant. That's one of the really cool things about the Bible is that you know you, you, you read the majority of the story here and then you find this little bitty tidbit over here in another passage. Okay? That you don't, you don't realize was there. And uh, that's what I want to begin doing today. You see guys, because Daniel we've already mentioned, was a, was, a, was a captive. He was in exile from Jerusalem after their nation had been conquered. And guys, this had been predicted. There's a passage, it's not in your notes, it will be on the screen here in Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 5-7. through 7. And I know that's out of order, Kara, I'm sorry. Um, but let's read this. And this is what's happening here in this passage is God is telling Habakkuk what He is about to do. He is telling Habakkuk that the Babylonians or Chaldeans, they were going by either name, were, was going to conquer the Israelites. And this is what God says. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. You see, guys, the nation of Israel was God's chosen people. That's what He said. He, I chose you. And He chose them very specifically to represent Him to the other nations. 
And sadly, they failed in that mission. And God told them this was all going to happen. He says, you know, I've chosen you, but this is what you're going to do, and this is what's going to happen. And as time went on, and as they were proving His prophecies true, by being unfaithful to Him, He gives gets a little clearer with it. And this is one of those prophecies where He's saying, look, I'm going to get clearer to it. You're not going to be... You're not just going to be overrun by any nation. You're going to be overrun by the Babylonians. And they are a wicked people. Habakkuk's response to this, if you want to read it for yourself in chapter 2, is, God, why are you using those more wicked than us to punish us for our wickedness? Why are you making them look good to punish us? I mean, that's how bad of a people they were. And you see, guys, that is what it is. The prophecies continue on in Isaiah chapter 39. And this is what it says. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you, will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. You see, folks, this is what Daniel... The book of Daniel begins as a fulfillment of these prophecies. Israel has been conquered by Babylon. Captives have been exiled to Babylon, including some of the royal family. And it appears that Daniel was one of those. It's a strong possibility that he was a member of the royal family. And you see this, this is how the book of Daniel opens up. In Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, this is what it says. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. You see, guys, God said, I'm going to carry your people off. And He told Hezekiah through Isaiah that it's I'm not going to just carry some people off. I'm going to carry your descendants, the royal family, off. And do you know what's going to happen to them? They're going to be made eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And Daniel 1 opens up with that being fulfilled. And that's the situation that we find Daniel in. Now guys, I think that's pretty, that's pretty significant. Okay? And you need to understand that, and because I'm going to talk about this a little bit more. Because every person that I've ever known, especially if they're discouraged, especially if they're depressed, 
they find themselves in circumstances that are beyond their control that they want out of. And I believe it's huge, guys, that when we look at Daniel and we look at his life, we have to understand the circumstances that he finds himself presented in. Okay, and you'll see in your notes there, I got about seven things. And these are just, these are just set in the background and then, and then talking about that he thrived. But one, he was potent, he was possibly royalty or nobility. Okay, we know that because in Daniel 1, that's what it says. That's who the king requested. Was descendants of the king, descendants of the royal family, of a nobility, and just other of the children. We, and we also know that Isaiah prophesied that that was what was gonna be. So there's at least a very strong possibility that he was a member of the royal family. Okay? We don't have nobility today. I guess England still kinda does, don't they? You know, was it Prince William and Prince Harry? Who names a Prince Harry? But guys, can you imagine? I mean, when you look at Prince William and Prince Harry, they got everything going for them. I mean, they're marrying the most beautiful women in the world. They got all the money they can imagine. They got people fawning over them. I mean, the worst of it is that people won't leave them alone. That was potentially a position that Daniel was in before. He got exiled to Jerusalem or to Babylon. And Daniel 1 would also tell us that he was a good looking young man. They didn't want, not want ugly people in the palace. I, that, that's my interpretation of it. But that's what he says. This is, those were the orders. The king instructed this guy, Ashpenaz, and what do they want? Young men in whom there is no blemish, but good looking. Okay, he was a good-looking guy. Next thing, what do you see about him? He was educated and intelligent. No dummies in the palace either. Now we know later that these were going to be king, the king's advisors. Or potentially, that's where the king would get his advisors. And so they wanted these intelligent people. Educated, intelligent, physically attractive, of the royal family. <coughs> That's what he's born with. And what is estimated to be at the age of 14, he finds himself a captive. Now we use the word, the Bible uses the word captive. A word that we are more familiar with that is entirely accurate is the word slave. He's not going to be working in the fields, but he is a slave. And what that means is he does what he's told. He is not, does not have freedoms, does not have liberties that everybody else has. Guys, the next thing you see there, and again, at the age of 14, is that he was a eunuch. Okay, and I've got on the notes castrated because I want you to, I don't want to hide behind the word eunuch. I want us to understand the reality of the situation there. That means in all likelihood, he would never marry. And if he did, he would never have children. Okay? That was the reality of the situation. That is where Daniel found himself. He found himself having this boatload of potential. Everything going for him in the world. But he's now a slave. 
and he's castrated. And he's in a foreign country. And you see, guys, that's a, that's a weird combination. That's an odd combination. But I believe that that's what most of us end up with ourselves. Everyone in this room has some talent. We may not describe ourselves as nobility. I don't. We might not describe ourselves as good-looking. I don't. Okay? Where do we fall on the intelligence scale? Nobody says I'm dumb. In fact, I've got a phrase I like to use. I'm not dumb. I am slow. But I am, and I mean that in all seriousness, by the way, okay? I'm not sure if that's an intelligence thing or an age thing, okay? But I am slow to pick up on things sometimes. You gotta, gotta go over it with me. But nobody considers themselves dumb. We all have a certain level of talent and abilities that we are given. And I believe every one of us at different times in our life face restrictions, face circumstances, that are out of our control. Where I cannot do anything about it. And that may be in your job. That may be with your spouse. That may be with your health. That may be with your children. That may be with your desire to have children. That may be with your desire to be married. That may be with your desire to to get a better job and you feel like there's nothing I can do. I believe that every one of us faces these things. And guys, the book of Daniel is so cool because Daniel dealt with these things and he was successful. As we're going to read about as we go on. Does any of that sound familiar to you? Does anybody ever feel out of control? Things that you can't do anything about. Guys, let's look at this. I've really only got two things that I want to talk about today, and I'm going to give them both to you. I told you it's not going to be a normal lesson. Uh, so I'm going to give you these, these two things. That how do I, like Daniel, thrive in Babylon? How do I thrive in an evil environment where circumstances beyond my control? The first one is that I ple- pledge allegiance to God. I'm sorry, pledge allegiance to the King. <coughs> Guys, I choose that term very carefully. And I chose it specifically because Daniel was asked to serve a king. And he did serve a king. But his allegiance was to the king. And guys, it's very significant. I was... was, I was, I'm listening, I'm going through two classes, one on the book of Daniel and one on the book of Ephesians by a <clears throat> theologian by the name of N.T. Wright from England. And in the book of Ephesians, he's actually translated his own, has his own translation. Is it of the whole New Testament? Of the whole New Testament. But he's reading the book of Ephesians specifically. And instead of translating Jesus Christ, he translates it King Jesus. And he does that, he goes on, he explains it, he says, because most people think Christ is simply a proper name, you know, like Gary Chapel, Jesus Christ, and it means nothing. You know, it just kind of flows by. Or you might know that the word Christ means Messiah or anointed one. But what does that mean? Okay, I mean, and we should know what that means, by the way. But I believe a lot of times we don't. Anointed one simply means 
you know, points to kingship. Who did they anoint? They anointed kings. The Messiah was to be a king from David's line, from David's, a descendant of David, King David. And guys, I think too many times we don't think of and celebrate the fact that Jesus is a king. And we forget the fact that we are a part of something called the kingdom of God. And so guys, when we are going to have to pledge allegiance to the king. So many times, I believe we are more religious than we are allegiant to the king. You know what I'm saying? We go to church, we check off our boxes, we go to church, fill out a prayer card, don't do the bad things. Alright, don't steal. We work and go to, go to work, pay our bills, feed our children, clothe our children, educate our children. And we think everything's, you know, good and we just, we're just religious. We just check off boxes. But we don't really go through life going, I'm a servant of the king. And I'm to do what pleases the king in my life. Not just try to check off the right boxes. And so guys, that's what it is. Look at here in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8. This is very clear. Now I want to say something very clear and I'll get into this in a little bit more. But when I'm talking about pledging allegiance, I'm not talking about a, uh, a creed that we all recite. Okay, I encourage you to have a personal creed about your faith. But it's not something you go through in a rote kind of a way or just, you know, I've memorized it or I just, I recite it like a repair, a, a prayer that's repeated. Okay? But you pledge your allegiance in different ways. And this is what we see here in Daniel chapter one. It says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. See guys, the king isn't mentioned there. God isn't mentioned there, at least not in this recording of what happened. But it says that Daniel resolved not to defile himself. You see guys, when you've pledged allegiance to the king, you've resolved about how you're going to live. And that doesn't depend upon what somebody else does or what circumstances hopefully come up for you in your life. You resolve that you are going to live for the King. And that's what we see one of the first opening passages about Daniel. The first things we learn about him is that he was resolved to satisfy the desires of the King. You go on down in the next passage, on down in Daniel chapter 1, and this is what it says. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. 
So they entered the king's service in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. So you guys, here's the deal. The world has a level of wisdom. God has a level of wisdom that far exceeds them all. And when Daniel, after he had pledged allegiance to the king, this is, was the result. He thrived. He didn't just survive in Babylon. He thrived in Babylon. And I, I meant to use that phrase earlier because how many of us really just want to survive? Okay? I'm, I remember one time in, in, the, in my struggle with depression, my wife asked me something about, how are you doing? And I says, I'm surviving. And she goes, is that all? Is that all you can say? You're, you're surviving? At the moment, that was all I could say. God does not intend for us to survive. God intends for us to thrive. Okay? Guys, look at this next passage when you look at Daniel. This is in chapter 6 of Daniel. This is the story of him in the lion's den. And I'll, I'll repeat some of this now just for, for reference. <coughs> but there were other officials who were jealous of Daniel, didn't like the fact that he was in the position of power and influence that he was. And so they tricked the king into signing into law that anybody who prayed to any other god besides their god would be thrown into the lion's den. And they quickly, Daniel does it, as you're going to read here. It says, now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. The king gave orders and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. Watch what the king has to say. Like I told you, the king was not happy about having to do this. And this is what he says to Daniel. He says, the king spoke and said to Daniel, your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. See guys, here, here's the thing. And this is, this is the most incredible, powerful thing that I've seen. When you look at the life of Daniel and you look at his allegiance to the king is how he influenced Things he had no control over. Okay? It is, it is estimated that he was 14 years old. Okay? Ballpark. 12 to 14 years old when he was selected to be in Nebuchadnezzar's service. Alright? Now, the lion's den, though if you've been to Sunday school as a child, saw a young man being thrown into the lion's den, most likely or was pictured that, or had the old flannel, flannel graphs? Flannel graphs. Remember those? I'm aging myself. 
You know, they showed a young man being thrown into the lion's den. The truth of the matter is, Daniel was most likely in his early 80s. <laughs> yeah, you got to read your Bible close. It doesn't tell you that. It just tells you. We know that because, again, he's estimated his age. They talked about wanting young men. And then they know that that began in Nebuchadnezzar's first year as king. And they go down and Nebuchadnezzar's gone and then his son, Belshazzar, is king. And then there's another king and then Cyrus is king. And they know from history how long each of these kings served. And so they estimate he was, one of the estimates saw 81 to 84 years old. Okay? Now what's, what's amazing about this, let me go back, go back to the beginning again. One of the first things they did after they selected Daniel was they changed his name. You remember that? Okay? They changed his name. Just a minute, I got this in my notes. They changed it from Daniel to, Daniel to Belshazzar. Which means Bel, which was the name of one of their gods, protect the king. That's what Dan, you know, Daniel's Babylonian given name means. Bel, protect the king. Or you want to say it another way? This God protect the king. You know what Daniel means? God is my judge. You see guys, a big difference there, they give him this name to try to assimilate him and to try to get him to be part of the Babylonian culture and to accept his role there as to help the, this false God su- support and protect the king. Why is it that 60 however many years later, he's still known as Daniel? How does this come about? And again, I encourage you to go read back and read the whole book. It's not that long of a book. It's very fascinating. But you look at the details and it's even more fascinating. And I believe, I believe it's chapter 4 or 5, Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar, is, is, is having a drunken party and a finger shows up writing letters on the wall. Okay, and they get a little freaked out by this fact. And Belshazzar's wife, the queen, shows up and says, hey, you know, there's a guy that your dad had working for him in the kingdom. And uh, his name's Daniel. He's also called Belshazzar. But he, he's, Dan- he's known as Daniel. They give him this Babylonian name that's trying to assimilate him, and somehow it never takes. I don't know if every time somebody says, well, hey, Belshazzar, he goes, call me Daniel, please. I don't know how that works. If he came before the king and the king says, who are you? And he says, I I am Daniel, whom you call Belshazzar. But I'm Daniel. I don't know how that works, but we know that decades later he's known by Daniel And not only is he known by Daniel, what does this king say here? Here in chapter 6, he says the king spoke and said, your God, whom you constantly serve, will deliver you. And guys, what you see is him influencing factors he had no control over. He influenced the evil environment he was in to where he got respect. At one point in chapter 2, when he, when he interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream, Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, 
I don't want nobody praying to nobody but Daniel's God. Now that's what I call evangelism. Okay? And guys, it's all because of a, a, a very simple thing that Daniel did. He resolved that he was going to live his life in allegiance to the king. That was it. He wasn't going to just do it momentarily. He wasn't going to just do it once. I am told we had three baptisms this week. Is that correct? I believe that too. I was told it and I believe it. Hannah, is that correct? Come on, stand up. Malia? And the third is Jacoby, who is not here this morning. He actually uh, attends another church. Thank you very much. Guys, what you have done, what you have done is what most of us else in this room have already done. And what you did is you declared your allegiance to Jesus. Okay, you probably said Jesus is my Lord, is the way you put it. Terminology is not nearly as important as the fact that you do it. I just want to tell you uh, that declaring your allegiance, you're not done with. Okay? And neither are we. Alright? That's the sad truth is that majority of people who claim the name of Christ think, well, I did. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I was baptized. But they don't think a thing about what makes the king happy. Well, yeah, I go to church. Well, but have you, are you declared, are, are you allegiant to the king? You see, in 1 Peter 3.15, it says it this way. It says, but in your hearts, set apart Christ Jesus as Lord. See, now he is speaking to people who have been baptized. He is speaking to people who have declared their allegiance to the king. And what is he telling them? Keep declaring your allegiance to the king. Set your heart on Jesus being Lord of every area of your life. Guys, I bring this up, and I'm just going to tell you this, I don't think it's safe to assume that everybody who says they're a Christian or anybody that goes to church is truly allegiant to Jesus. And I'll be the first to tell you that was me. Okay, I've been in church most of my life. I made a decision to accept Jesus as my Savior and Lord when I was 12 years old. And I can tell you I spent a large chunk of my life following rules, but allegiant to myself. And trying to shape my life to be what I want it to be. And it wasn't till I figured out that I really wasn't trying to satisfy Jesus did things change. And so guys, I, I just want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. I want to beg you. If you're not one who regularly acknowledges at least to yourself that Jesus is your King, is your Lord, and you are out to satisfy Him and though it pains you, you don't care about your own life. I encourage you to begin doing that. 
Okay? And I'm encourage you, I'm, I'll encourage you to start today, alright? Let's have a little fun here. This afternoon we're having a celebration service. Is that correct? And we are going to, after the celebration service, watch a ball game. Is that correct? And the majority of the people in this room are allegiant to the Cardinals. Is that correct? Who are going to the playoffs, correct? Yes. Yes. And we have a few... I'm getting there, brother. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. (coughs) You're proving my point, okay? Both of you. We have a few in the audience who I'm going to refer to are allegiant to the spoilers. Okay? The Cub fans are looking to spoil the Cardinals' chances at winning the division. Is that correct? That's that's all you got left, right? <laughs> I'm just having fun with this, guys. We're going to watch a ball game, and the majority of us like the Cardinals, and a handful of us like the Cubs. Okay? And we're going to have fun with that. We're going to tease everybody. And it doesn't matter. I want to encourage you. While you're at the game this afternoon, to say something along the lines of, I'm a Cardinal fan, but I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to see the Cardinals win. But I want my King to be happy with me. I want to see the Cubs beat the Cardinals and them to lose the division. But only if it makes Jesus happy. <laughs> Think the Cardinals are more like the Babylonians? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> oh! <laughs> But guys, no, I, I mean, I think it's a perfect afternoon for this. Is, is, you know, the atmosphere is going to be this ball game. And, you know, it's an easy, let's be really clear, it's easy to be a Cardinal fan right now, right? You ask me what's going on with Cardinals in April, May, June, or July, I don't have a clue and I don't care, okay? Don't get interesting till August as far as I'm concerned. I'm a fair weather fan, and if they ain't in the hunt, who cares? Okay? I'm being honest with this myself. But guys, within the context of declaring who we like as a baseball team, let's declare our allegiance to the King and use it as an opportunity. My wife, I've encouraged the small groups in our zone to begin their groups this way. To come in and to remind themselves that we are a gathering of servants of the King. And to begin their groups declaring that. And my wife and I were talking about this morning. She goes, that's so awkward. Isn't it? I mean, you know, hey, hey, Jesus is Lord. How's it going today? Well, I'm just trying to satisfy the desires of the King. And don't just say those to be words, guys. I want them to be real to you the way they were to Daniel. Resolve. And I'm way out of time. The second thing, guys, if we get to declare allegiance to the King, we need to be allegiant to the King. We need to be allegiant to the King. Look at this passage in Jeremiah 29. Uh, I don't know how you feel. I know I'm, I know I'm projecting what I would think and feel if I was in exile 
in, in Jerusalem. I'm sorry, in Babylon. I would not want good things for the Babylonians. I would be praying for them to get their due. But this is the instructions that God gave to Jeremiah, or gave to the exiles through Jeremiah and Jeremiah 29. And just as a side note, there's more than three verses in Jeremiah 29, okay? Just want to let you know, these are, the ver- these are good verses too. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. That sounds all good, doesn't it? Have a family. Have a big happy family. Increase in number. And then in verse 7, he says, Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in My name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. There's that last part there. Okay? It could be that what he's talking about these false prophets and diviners that they, he's saying they dream dreams you want them to dream. They have visions you want them to have. It could be that those people, that the false prophets were saying, we're going to rise up. Babylon's going to fall. And God is giving them exactly opposite instructions. He goes, you seek the peace and prosperity of the land. I'm going to tell you, if I was in Babylon, that is not what I would want to pray for. I would pray for them to get their due. We already know how wicked and evil they were. And I'd say, God, You punished us. Let them have it. And God says, that ain't what I want. And you see, guys, I bring this up because Daniel did this. Daniel worked for the peace and the prosperity of Babylon. And the question is, am I going to do that? And what part of following Jesus do you not like? See, guys, the truth of the matter is, as I said earlier, we're all going to face circumstances we don't like. God has given us instructions to deal with those circumstances that we may not like either. Yeah, Isaiah, just this weekend, uh, some of you know, some of you do not know, um, and hold your gasp for just a minute here, and you'll understand why in a minute, but Gina, Gina Law was, was diagnosed with stage 1 breast cancer. And I want to read to you a post that she made in her small group's uh, chat after she let them know that this this is what... She, oh, gosh. Guys, I'm not, ups, I'm not choked up 
about her having cancer. I'm choked up at the faithfulness I'm about to read to you, okay? If I can read it. She says, I am doing fine with the news. I choose to be positive and focus on all the positives around me. I have an amazing God and trust in Him. He has set me up for overwhelming success and support. I have an amazing support system. Work, home, church, and friends. God's got this. And He's got me. This is how we are going to fight this. Love you all. And there's several responses, but I'm going to read one response that I believe just says it all. And this is from Jay for Alford. And it says, Love you, friend. And I love your example of faith. Guys, I, 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 I am moved by that. Because I see a husband and wife who are facing circumstances out of their control and they're going, I'm going to let the king take this. And you see, guys, when I first heard about it and the, and the possibility and, you know, before the biopsy and all that, and, and we, we prayed with them, we prayed for two things. We prayed, number one, we went, God, take it away. You know, that's our first prayer. We want it gone. You have the power to do it. We're asking you for it. We're all in agreement here. We want it gone. And if it does not happen, if that's not your will, we pray you help Jason and Gina deal with this faithfully. You see, guys, that's how you live in allegiance to the King. You see, guys, it gets real when you deal with a situation like that. I had a, 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 a much smaller, similar situation a couple years ago. My wife and I were, were taking communion to Stephanie and Danny Gill. Uh, Stephanie has passed on. Anyway, she was at that point in time, hospice had been called in and she wasn't leaving the house. And we were taking communion to her. And I'm sitting there and I've done talks before communion more times than I can count and feel like I'm really good at it and feel like I know the right things to say. And I'm sitting here with a woman who's going to be dead in two or three months. And I don't know what to say. And you know what, you know what comes to me? I hear a voice and you know what it says? Do you really believe it? Not that she's going to die. Do you really believe what you've said you believe your whole life? See, guys, I was challenged. Guys, am I going to be allegiant to the king? Because the king has said, given me these incredible promises that say that death is not the end. That tell me there will be a resurrection and new bodies. And am I going to be allegiant to the King in this moment of potential despair? Or am I going to be allegiant to what the King has told me and the hope He's given me? And am I going to proclaim that hope and grab a hold of that hope? See guys, if that's what happens, that's what we got to do. you got to proclaim, declare your allegiance to the King and you have to be allegiant to the King. <clears throat> Two things very briefly, 
because I'm over time. To be allegiant, I've got to number one, know what he says, and number two, live what he says. Guys, the Bible is an amazing book, and it does us no good if we don't know it. That is how you learn the desires of your king. That is how you live it, by knowing it. So guys, as we close out today, I just want to encourage you this afternoon to declare your allegiance. Begin this afternoon while we're together, while you're among other believers. Declare your allegiance in some small way. However the Spirit moves you. I'm not going to give you the words to say, but declare to somebody else that you want to make the King happy and you want to satisfy His desires. Let's pray and we'll sing. Father, it is, it is an amazing life. And Father, today is a special day for me because I, I just feel so much in the presence of so many people who are desiring to be faithful to You and who are living to be faithful to You. And Father, this morning that group in my mind is led by Jason and Gina. Father, I want nothing more than to live the rest of my life to satisfy Your desires. I'm far from perfect at that, Father. But it feels so good when I know I'm satisfying You. Father, it feels so good to know that You're in control. And Father, I want to trust You. Father, I want this group of believers that call themselves the Greater Alton Church to be known as faithful people. And to be known as people who are serving the King and are denying their own lives. Father, I pray for that. And I ask You to help us to do that. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.